Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 70, I Feel You Judge Me. This week, we're discussing series 5, episode 8 of Doctor Who, The Hungry Earth, and season 1, episode 6 of Angel, Sense and Sensitivity. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. The Hungry Earth. Actually, Kat, before we start, I just really mm. feel I, I I wanted to say that I, I don't feel that I've been acknowledging your feelings as much as maybe I should have. So I'm really going to try in this episode. To, okay. No, sorry. Sorry. I'm, that's, I'm not going I just, to acknowledge I just want anymore. you to know that I'm in a really sensitive place right now. Yeah, so I'm not yeah. really sure how this recording is going to okay. go, but okay. we're well, going to try to be emotionally we'll, present and available. We'll, we'll be understanding of each other okay. and I'll, I'll do my best not to interrupt you too many times. Okay. All right. I appreciate that. Thank you. Okay. Um, so the hungry earth, <laughs> the, uh, interesting episode. There's some, I felt there were some really good things about it. And then there were some like just sort of, eh, okay. Yeah. Parts yeah. to it. Um, sure. like not, not bad, but like just some parts that were like, I don't know, maybe maybe it's a better as a complete story because I know because obviously mm. it stops, right. you know, there. and Right. Yeah, I know. And sometimes it is hard to say when when we have a two-parter yeah. kind of. It's it, I think like I always think there's stuff to talk about in the first half. I don't think it's like you can't talk about two-parters separately, but. There are certain things it's like, well, you know, you want to know how, where it's going so that you know, like, you know, what there is, like, what is being set up, I guess. Right, right. And No, I wouldn't disagree with you, though. Um, well, there are I'm... moments that I really like, and then, and then in some ways, um, I think we've had some really strong episodes this season, and this is one of the more sort of, uh, kind of middling um, yeah, yeah. And but, I know maybe it's not fair to compare everything to, like, The Empty Child and Dr. Dances, sure, but, like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that would be, like, that would be sort of the quintessential, you hold it up, where you have plenty to talk about in both yeah. episodes. And yeah. this one, I feel like, you know, hopefully we'll have more to talk about next time, but, like, the the sure. first one, it's it's a little. But we instead of talking about how little there is to talk about, maybe we should actually talk about the okay. things we do have to talk about. Um, right. I wanted to begin because I noticed uh, the second watch through actually. Well, and I actually watched ended up because we had a little bit longer of a break uh, between our recordings here than we normally yeah. do. So I ended up actually watching them through three times um, each. Oh, okay. Uh, and it was the second so it was it was still the second time but then i watched it a third time after uh where i sort of noticed um that in the last one in the last episode amy's choice we had this moment um or you know several scenes there at the end where you have some alone time between amy and the doctor which okay i mean they had gone on several adventures alone so it wasn't like a yeah. big you know huge deal necessarily but it was it was alone time, their first sort of alone time since Rory has been with them. So it, it right. which changes the dynamic of their being alone. And in fact, right. you know, is what prompts Amy to actually make her choice, you know, and, right. and sort right. of, you know, when, when Rory dies in the dream world, 
uh, the first dream world because they mm-hmm. end up being both dream worlds. Um, yeah. When Rory dies and she sort of makes her decision and it sort of strengthens her resolve there. Um, and I think that's an important moment for both Amy and the doctor because yeah. there does seem to be sort of a, you know, the doctor accepting that moment too. Um, and I wanted to point that out because I think we have a very similar sort of moment here uh, yeah. in this episode, but except with Dr. And Amy, we have it with Dr. And Rory and, and you get, um, you know, so you get the doctor kind of coming out right after Amy has been pulled down into the earth and, you know, Rory comes up and he's trying to tell him like, Oh, people are being eaten from their graves and, uh, or taken or whatever. And, uh, what, how does he say The graves are eating people or something like that. And, and, uh, the doctor's like, you know, shush like i'm trying to do something and um rory's like trying to help him like he doesn't immediately notice and then suddenly he does notice that amy's gone and asks and he gets mad at the doctor like which is very similar to what amy does you know we get that line of well what are you good for if you can't save him and and the and and this time around it's rory saying well you know what are you going to do about the fact that Amy's missing? Like, why is this happening? And yeah. Uh, and, and that, and that similar anger of kind of blaming the doctor for it, like, just like, you know, yeah. That, what What's the point of you? You know, if you can't save people, what's the point of you? You know, yeah. the doctor saying I tried and Rory saying, well, you didn't try hard enough, you know? Right. Like, so it's not just like, Oh, she got taken, but you know, it's your fault. You right. know, you, right. you didn't do enough and you should have done more. Exactly. So, and I think, too, like, it's important, like you said, that, it, which it seems like an obvious point, but it is important that we've had episodes of the Doctor and Amy alone because they went off together, but now that Rory's with them, when he, it's not just that, like, like before, like, he wasn't there, but there's that moment of him being lost to them, you know, and right. that's kind of, like, he was with us, and then he's gone, and so now with Amy, it is sort of like that, like, even though... They, the doctor suspects that she's not killed. There's still that moment of, you know, we were together and then she's gone and she may have been killed. You know, they don't right. really know for sure one way or the other. Right. So it is a really, it's different than two of them going off together. You know, there's that kind of mm-hmm. loss of the third member, I guess. And, and I think um, sort of as part of that, you also get the idea of, you know, the doctor saying right after that is, you know, I need you to be with me like this. We, you know, if we're going to save her, then the only way we can save her is, is for us to sort of work together and to be on the same side and not be having this argument. And so there's, it's not quite the same because it's not the doctor, you know, accepting a decision per se, but it's actually Rory, I guess, in that instance, making his own sort of decision to trust the doctor Right. On his own, not without, because he has to do that. Like now he, it's not, he can't just follow Amy's lead, which seems right. like is what he's been doing up until right. now. Right. Uh, right. You know, now he actually has to, in his own right, trust the doctor and trust that the doctor is doing the best thing for Amy, you know, yeah. to, to try to help her out. So I, I think 
That seems like it's more than just accidental. Oh, sure. it happened to come the next episode. Like that seems like important character development um, for yeah. both of them that that sort of parallels each other. So I wanted to yeah. make sure we talked about that a little bit. I don't know. Is there anything else you have to add to that before we move into sort of the individual? No, I mean, stuff? I think I think that's a really good comparison. And I like I think those moments are really similar and i think it's the, like kind of this ongoing idea of i guess i'd sort of see it as um like the ongoing exploration of amy's relationship i guess amy and rory's relationship and how their you know status as a couple works as like part of this companion unit in the tardis you know so you're getting yeah. all these different like combinations of the characters you know so mm -hmm. you know like i mean most obviously last week because it was all set up on amy's choice between these two people and these two worlds and everything mm -hmm. but like it's still even though that situation is gone there's still this kind of question of you know because we haven't really had that before like there's been times where we've had more than one companion at a time but we haven't really had like the doctor and a couple together so yeah. now you know we're kind of I think that's maybe kind of something we're meant to be thinking about is um, how, you know, their relationships to each other work when then there's also the doctor there as this kind of, in some ways, this antagonist to Rory, but in some ways, this kind of third wheel to Rory, you know, like, yeah. so, and, and part of that is kind of mixing them up and like pairing them off together differently, you know, sure. so that, you know, you get all three of them interacting and everything. Sure. Um, so, I mean, I think it's probably deliberate, you know, to say like, okay, we had that situation. Now let's change the dynamic, you know, right. and kind of reverse it and see what happens and everything. Mm -hmm. Yep. And like yep. you said, putting Rory in a new situation because he can't just, you know, follow Amy. And when she's gone, he has to decide, you know, do I, you know, continue to, you know, hold the grudge against the doctor or do I you know, try to right. help him or right. how, you know, where's that relationship? And right. then you get that kind of moment of the doctor saying like, I need you on my side. And Rory doesn't really answer right away. Like he just sort of stare. I like the way when the doctor just sort of picks up his things and walks away. And there's that kind of Rory's just staring at his back and he's just like, I can't even deal with this right now. He's just mm. sort of forging ahead and hoping that Rory will kind of, get in line and support him. And he does yeah. like, and he does, he yeah. doesn't, he doesn't continue to sort of, you know, give him a hard time, at least not verbally. Like he's mm -hmm. helping and he's like doing what he needs to do and everything. Yeah. So it does yeah. pr put them in a slightly different relationship to each other, I think. Well, yeah. And that's, that's good. And so maybe actually just a few more points on, on Rory and Amy and their relationship and, and whatever, before we get into the doctor, and sure. the rest of it um, and the actual stuff that happens to the characters throughout the main part of the story um, that, you know, moment when they come out of the TARDIS and, you know, after they realize they're not actually in Rio right. and they see the future Amy and Rory Their looking future down selves, on yeah. And, <laughs> and yeah, so you get Amy's like, we're still together in 10 years. <laughs> like, and Rory's like, well, why are you so surprised? So like, I mean, of course, and not that you would necessarily expect, like 
yes, Amy's made her choice, but it still seems that there's some surprise yeah. or doubt or whatever. Like, I mean, yeah. and we know that she's still not ready to go off and get married yet, right? Because that's sure. yeah. that's the that's when when they are that'll be the end right then they'll get out of the TARDIS and and actually and Rory even says that you know what so we just go back to our lives of right nurse right. and kissogram like and I like right. that that's like how he sees the rest of their lives like that's right. even though they've gotten a preview of what it could be you yeah. know in in the dreams and stuff like he's like uh yeah so we'll just go back to being a nurse and a kissogram like yeah. As if this whole experience would not have changed them in any right. way, which right. I would assume right. is actually not the case, but he's right. thinking that. It's an interesting moment from Rory because it almost sounds more like something Amy would say. Like, he almost has a moment of kind of doing the kind of what she said last week, that 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 kind of wondering to himself, how can we go back? Like, yeah. is that a statement or is that a question? Like, is it like, oh, interesting that we, you know, apparently stay a couple and go back to being our normal people with normal lives and yeah. stuff? Or is that a question of, huh, so how can we just go back to being the nurse? And like, because even, I guess maybe it suggests that even he is starting to realize that this experience would and should change them in the long run, that this isn't necessarily just a little detour on the way to yeah. normal life that maybe like maybe it will have longer term consequences or, or he's surprised that there aren't, you know, because they're there on the Hill. Like, mm -hmm. like it's kind of a surprising notion that they would, you know, still be together and just sort of, you know, back to their same old selves, I guess. Yeah. I think, um, I, yeah, I think you're right. I think there is more of a question in that than than a statement. I mean, I think I think there's some of each, but like like because, you know, I think part of it's like, oh, the yeah. the oh, good. We are still together in 10 years. But right. I think I think yeah. there is definitely a question in there too, a, a sort of a surprise that, oh, we are together in 10 years. Yeah. Um, wasn't quite yeah. expecting that. So maybe hoping sure but not necessarily expecting and um which makes the other thing that happens then right after that really interesting about him being worried that she'll lose her ring and makes yeah. her take it off right <laughs> well not makes her but you know what i mean like strongly suggests to the point where she does yeah, yeah. uh you know and i i don't know i thought that was a little strange I mean, I guess, okay, you could lose it, but at the same time, it's like you would think, and Amy seems to think that he would be happy that she's wearing it because right. she, you know, she has made her decision and, you know, is yeah. ready to do whatever. So I, I guess I'm not entirely sure how to read that, um, you know, besides the obvious plot device of then it gets Rory to go back to the TARDIS right. while the other sure, two sure, go sure. off. Um yeah. I don't I I try not to read things too cynically that way. I no, would like to no. think that there's an actual character reason for him well, doing Well, yeah, that. I think there's a couple of things. I mean, I think the pra the obvious practical thing of getting an excuse for him to lag behind definitely. You know, there's the cynical reason, but you know, then there's the just the plain old character reason of Rory's just, you know, a worrywart. You know, Amy's sort of this, you know, mm. Uh, more kind of following her instincts, you know, oh, you'd like it. Like, and that's kind of her way of 
you know, publicly declaring that she's made her choice and thought it would make you happy. And Rory's like, you know, you're going to drop it and I paid money for it. And like, this is too dangerous. You know, he's <laughs> such a practical, you know. Um, uh, he paid a lot of money. He made a lot of money. <laughs> Although he's yeah. sort of embarrassed it, it, he, to admit he says how it in much a way he that, actually says. Or, or he says it in a way that implies that it wasn't very much at all. <laughs> right, right, but, exactly. Um, but in any case, you could, so I think like there's just the, that's the kind of thing he would worry. Like he, you know, she thinks that it'll make him happy and maybe it does, but there's also the like, it's really important to him that it stays safe, you know, for the wedding, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but without giving anything away, we're going to come back to that in the next episode. So I'll okay. say there's that that plot point will be revisited as more than just like um you know the thing which gets Rory to stay okay. behind All right. um so cool cool yeah you, and you never know with those sorts of things like yeah if it, no but i think that moment feels significant a little bit like you know that they go out of their way to have him do that and to kind of you know take a minute to have him go kind of make sure it gets in the TARDIS safely and everything. So yeah. I think there's enough emphasis on it that you kind of think, you know, huh, I wonder what, you know, what What's significance that might have yeah. later on. Yeah. yeah. Um, cool. All right. Well, and we'll have more to say about them uh, just in the story, but I think let's talk about the doctor a bit. Cause uh, I mean, he does, as per usual, I guess, you know, drive the action and stuff. But um, yeah. the whole, <laughs> so, all right, there's a number of mentions of him, you know, like being able to feel like that the ground, there's something yeah. wrong, like, you know, whatever, which is, you know, kind of his normal, you know, he has better detection of, yeah. you know, technology or, things that aren't the way they should be, uh, yeah. you know, than sort of your average person. And that's yeah. fine. But I wanted to talk about the bluegrass. Um, <laughs> I mean, one, obviously he notices it, but there's, there's a lot of emphasis on this bluegrass. Um, first there's, I mean, besides just sort of noticing that there's bluegrass here, uh, which is, you know, of course you think of when you think of bluegrass, besides the musical style, Sure. You know, you think of, of like Kentucky, you think of, you know, like Southern or, or mm. Midwestern a little bit, uh, yeah. you know, American states where, where this type of grass is a bit more common. You don't think of dreary England or wherever. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're in Wales actually. In Wales. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it actually, I, it's not just shot in Wales. It actually takes place in Wales this time. <laughs> okay. Um, so yeah, like. In the graveyard, no less, you know, right, versus right. when you think of bluegrass, it's more like open field type, yeah. you know, area. Anyway, um, or at least I do. I keep saying you. I mean, this is what I think. <laughs> the royal you. Um, yes. <laughs> so the. But OK, so you get these moments where he like he tucks it into his, you know, uh, jacket pocket. There is yeah. like in our pocket. And then like later he tastes it. He just, um, just shoves it in his yeah. mouth and then kind of spits it out. Spits again. it out, right? <laughs> and I like that. Um, Amy's like, "Oh, have you always been this disgusting?" No, that's that's new. That's recent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that that's new. Um, but it's funny because, like, at this point, 
I'm not thinking of the doctor as being new anymore. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like I do I Well, I do... and that's not that's not even strictly true because we've seen we saw a tenant like taste the sand and stuff. So shoving things in his mouth or or like licking walls and things. Like he did stuff like that too. So I don't even I I I think that line's funny, but I don't know like how accurate it is really. You know, cuz we've certainly seen that behavior before. But but there's still that kind of yeah, childlike but, that sort of childlike messiness, which is specific to this doctor. You yeah. know, <laughs> yeah. and, and I wasn't going to put it in those terms, but I think you're absolutely right. Like I, I do feel like what it actually made me think of is that it he is, you know, it, it, and maybe it's precisely because I don't think of him as being new anymore. Yeah. That that now you're starting to get the sense of he actually he is his own personality at this point, yes. right? It's no longer... Right, we're, no, we're not just defining him in terms of the previous right. incarnation or something. Right. Yeah, he's like his own... Um, he has his own way of doing things, and he's more self-aware and conscious and everything. And I feel like even... Like, maybe it's even a matter of degrees. So, you know, you're you're pointing out that, like, David Tennant, you know, would... Or rather, the Tenth Doctor would right. have, you know, tasted things here and there. Like he wouldn't have just shoved like a bunch of it in his mouth. Like he right. might've broken like off teeny, the tip. He and, gets a little bit of sand and kind of puts it on his tongue here. Matt Smith just takes like the handful of grass and right. like chomps down. Yeah. Like it. roots yeah. and all, you know, like yeah. whatever he pulled out of the ground. So like, like I do feel like even yeah. if, even if there's been some taste testing in the past, like this seems yeah. like an escalation of yeah. sorts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think you're right. Like, I think that the sort of the childlike, attitude towards it and which goes along with sort of things that he's been saying about you know you should not grow up and we'll we'll take care of the fact that you did grow up like it is yeah there is and and maybe i mean i don't want to go all oh this is what the 11th doctor is because i mean i've only seen a few episodes here but like that would be maybe an early prediction of mine is like that that's Mm -hmm. you know if the 10th doctor was sort of you know, PSTD doctor mm-hmm. and sorry, the night, did I say ninth? The ninth no. doctor is PSTD yeah. doctor. And, and the 10th doctor is sort of, you know, working through his anger issues. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, then, then, then maybe the 11th doctor is that the rediscovery of just the pure joy of living. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, which yeah. then leads to things like, Ooh, a big mining thing. I love yeah. a big mining love thing. Love a big mining thing. <laughs> uh, you know, see way better than Rio. <laughs> Rio. Yeah. But but and and that's I mean, obviously those are funny lines and they're meant to be and they're they're delivered yeah. well, so you know, you like yeah. them. But I think even just um you get you get the moments of sort of those those pure joy moments here. Even like when yeah. Nazarene gets onto the TARDIS and, mm-hmm. and you get, you know, Yes, here, you know, here's a new, I, I love it when people say, you know, it's yeah, bigger yeah. on the inside, you know, like, yeah. like you, you do get that moment of, you know, wow, this is really cool. And I don't know what's going on, but it's fascinating, isn't it? Like, yeah. uh, when she talks, you know, she asks the question of why aren't they like falling into fire in the middle of the earth? Right. And he's like, I don't know why. <laughs> let's figure it out. Like, you know, let's, yeah. let's move along here and, and and keep going, you know, further. Oh, what is it? It's, it's a play on the further up and further in, right. It's the, um, 
upwards and downwards or something right, like that. Like, right. you know, the, yeah. the I, I forget the exact phrase he uses, but you know, that kind of, um, yeah, you know, mentality of, you know, to get back, you have to go forward kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah. anyway, I, I, I guess that's just I wanted to make sure we talked about that a little bit because I, I do feel like that that's like, you are getting that thing of, yeah, you have sort of now emerged from underneath the shadow of the former doctor. Um, and, yeah. and maybe he already had at this point, you know, even in previous episodes, but like, this is the point where I sort of consciously thought that. So, mm-hmm. um, and, yeah, and it I, was I've that been... tasting of the grass, I guess that sort of prompted it for me, even though yeah. I could probably think of other things that would do that as well. Yeah. Um, I've been, not sitting on this quote, but I've kind of been holding it back because I didn't want to, like, bust it out too early and, like, you know, define the 11th Doctor. You know, because I think, obviously, like, it's an evolving character and so things will, you know, we'll continue to learn more about him and everything. But um, since you bring up his kind of childlikeness and everything, um, I my absolute favorite quote ever about the 11th Doctor is Moffat saying like about Matt Smith uh, as, you know, in, so you sort of have, you know, two things, you know, you kind of have his kind of tweedy, you know, kind of vintage professorial, you know, tweed bow tie kind of, you know, Mm -hmm. old fashioned and everything and a little geeky and everything. But you also have his youth, you know, that he's the young, he appears younger and also his kind of childlike way of behaving and Moffat Moffat described him as he's like a young man reassembled by old men from memory. And yeah. I just think that's perfect, you mm. know? And so I think that is something to be thinking of. The fact that relative to all the other doctors, this doctor is the oldest doctor, you know? He's, you know, literally the one who's latest in the line. He's been around longer. Mm-hmm. So, but... Going and and you get hints of that with like his slightly geezerish way of dressing, mm-hmm. but <laughs> the fact but contrasted with this kind of youthful, silly, and like very tactile way of going about things, you yeah. know. So it's sort of like someone who is. I think that's a great quote to describe what you said about rediscovering his joy in his childhood. You know that yeah. he's he's not a child, but he's maybe reassembling a childlikeness, you know, mm-hmm. that it, it's sort of an old man remembering how to be childlike, you know, and yeah. some of it is a little off because he's not a child anymore, but he's still mm-hmm. embracing that, you know, that, you know, kind of never grow up Peter Panish sort of, I'll yeah. fix that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, um, and that, and exactly. I was, I was thinking of, you know, the comparisons earlier, um, in, in in the second episode, I can't. The title escapes me. Um, uh, the Beast Below. Beast Below, yeah, where where you get the Peter Pan reference yeah. with uh, Amy sort of flying outside the TARDIS and yep. uh, yeah. Yep. Anyway, um, yeah. So I think that's all spot on, and we should keep our eye on that characterization because the... I think that characterization is definitely one of the main aspects of his doctor and but that's also something that will continue and change and everything so yeah yeah i and 
So one of the things, you know, you mentioned like that, that is an interesting quote about sort of a young man being assembled by older men or whatever yeah, exactly from, it was. From memory. <laughs> from memory. Um, like they've forgotten. Yeah, but right. This is, surely this is what it was like to be young. And you look at Matt Smith and it's like, nobody was like that when they were young. Yeah. He's well, too no, bizarre. And, and, you know, but they get some things right and some things wrong. So. And I, you know, like, I mean, obviously I had seen pictures of Matt Smith as the doctor and stuff. I'll even, you know, although I tried to avoid any, anything too spoilery before I got to him. Yeah. But I always, I always sort of thought that he had a sort of hipsterish look. Right. Which, which I think is sort of what, it's because of that contrast of the old fuddy-duddy, yeah. you know. Right. Like you said, tweed jacket and whatever. But like, attitudinally. I don't get that impression at all. Like now no, that I've I actually think you're probably right. Yeah. That, that I've actually seen him or whatever. Like it, it wasn't actually until you said that, that I, th- that I just thought like, yeah, actually I did sort of have like visually I picked up on that, although I didn't put it in those terms and, and that came across to me as hipster. But I think, you know, the problem that you get with when you talk about hipster is you get the ironic, you yeah. know, angle to it. And I don't get that sense when you no. actually are watching him. There isn't. And it and actually just having uh, reread Tolkien's on fairy stories, it reminded me of of the quote in there where he talks about, you know, you can have satire, you can have irony, you can have. You know, you can make fun of things. The only thing you can't do in a fairy story is you can't make fun of the magic itself. And that's where I, I feel like, yes, it's a sci-fi show, but we've talked about how Doctor Who is yeah. also sort of a fairy tale. Um, and you've written papers on that subject. Uh, right. You know, I think that that's, that's good. Like, he does that well. It's like if the Doctor is the magical creature, so to speak, yeah. you know, the not doing it ironically really works and so yeah so then you do have no he's totally um sincere and in his enthusiasm right yeah there's nothing not there's nothing you know not to diss all hipsters but there's nothing of that kind of holier than thou about him you know he's very much like earnest in his in his you know uh embracing of the adventure and wanting to take the companion like it's not a kind of there's nothing ironic or sort of right. elitist about and, him, you know. And even, you know, because you could even get that sense of the, you know, like with bow ties are cool, like wink, wink. Right. But like, right. but I actually didn't, you know, when, no, when I heard that I line. Like, no. like it's it's one of those things where I, I think, you know, even that it's like. And actually that quote about the, you know, assembling a young man from old men's memories or whatever, yeah. uh, like sort of gets it. It's like they would think well, I like to wear bow ties. And so, yes, as a young man, bow ties would have been cool. And, you know, like you do get like this. (laughs) And bow ties are cool. You realize mostly that quote comes about when someone makes fun of him for how they're, so it's not so much him asserting his own style. It's more about like people say, you look, you look like an idiot. And he's like, I don't care. It's cool. I like it. You know, and to riff off the, of like the childlike analogy, it's actually not that far from like, my daughter coming out in like pajamas and a tutu, you know, like, you know what right. I mean? Like, not yeah. Yeah. maybe now at the age she is now, but when she was younger, absolutely yeah. like her own. And even now, you know, she still has her own style. Definitely. She's still a kid. She still hasn't sort of been ruined in thinking about style in the way that you're supposed to think about style and matching and right. contrast and this and that and the other thing. So it's like, 
yes, these animal print bottoms will go totally with my striped shirt. Like, you know right. what I mean? Like, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's perfectly fine. And I'll, I'll put, you know, some weird looking sweater over it like that all yeah. works perfectly fine. And if you ask her about it, it's like, well, it's because I like this animal print yeah. pants, you know, it's not whatever. And that seems to be the same way. So I know we've yeah, gone sort a, of, no, sorry. that, that lack of self-consciousness, you know, like yeah. he's just comfortable yeah. and, and likes what he likes and doesn't care, you know? Um, so. I'm still, I'm still waiting for the fez though. I know that's coming at some point. Uh, I, don't, yes. I don't, I don't know when or in, you know, what situation, but, uh, I, that's, if there is a spoiler, that is one thing I know that, that comes <laughs> he down He will eventually wear a fez, yes. <laughs> um, but again, anyway, to sort of bring it back around, like I, yeah, you definitely get the sense of, of the child, like, and that it's yeah. not, you know it's not him just playing around at trying to do you know one thing or the other that it's just how he is and part of that is stuffing a wad of bluegrass in your mouth only to realize that it tastes really bad and spit it back out yeah. a moment later like yeah. no that's new I'm, and kids can be disgusting you know they do jump in puddles and hug yep. dirty dogs and get eat licked in the face and, dirt and yeah. eat handfuls yep. of dirt or whatever so yeah. um that seems all in character with that yeah. which yeah. i was going to say sort of leads into um his sort of camaraderie i guess with Elliot sure. uh because i feel like that's where they do sort of hit it off even though they don't actually talk very long um yeah. There's just those few moments. So there's, you know, the moment where Elliot sort of earnestly asks, you know, can you get my dad back? And and yeah. he says, you know, yes, without a doubt. Like, yeah, I can do that. And but then there's, you know, when they're actually sort of working on setting up his sensors and doing all that stuff. And um, Elliot asks, you know, is it monsters coming? Have you met monsters before? And and the doctor says, yeah. And mm. he says, are you scared of them? Which, you know implying that he's kind of scared in that scared, moment yeah. <laughs> yeah like um uh yeah that's him asked should i be scared you know like yeah you know are yeah you, like yeah and and the doctor says no they're scared of me um yeah. which actually i think is intentionally or not i think you know we should be thinking about young amelia at that point you know mm -hmm. little amelia amelia pond who's asserting how unscared she is, yeah. you know, uh, yeah. when the doctor is first there and, and, and the doctor is saying, no, you, you must not be very scared of right. me <laughs> because you know, that yeah, crack you're not is one of hell me, of a, you're not scared of anything. Yeah. 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 One hell of a scary crack. If you're down here, you know, talking to a stranger in the middle of the night and making yeah. all this food and doing whatever I can see, you're not scared, but there must be something scary about that crack. Yeah. So, um, um, it also, I think, calls back um, the girl in the fireplace with, you know, sure. even monsters have nightmares. And Raynette, what, what do monsters have nightmares about? Me, you know, yeah, yeah. that he's the thing that monsters are scared of. Yeah. Which yeah. is, yeah. And, and all three of those moments are with kids. I think that's really important. You right. Know? And that's why it's all I... like the young versions. It's all the child, you know, in that situation. Well, and that's, the you know, for for the 11th doctor anyway, that's sort of what made me think of, of, of Amelia is that yeah. I think there's a very similar relation there, yeah. um, you know, to Elliot. So, uh, 
and also the moment um the, the so the other moment that i was thinking of is when um he asks elliot to draw the map and mm-hmm. uh he says you know i can't do the words because i'm dyslexic and the doctor says oh it's all right i don't make a very good meringue it's like <laughs> what you know what does that have to do with anything but i, know, I mean i was thinking obviously... of that earlier when you're talking about his childlike earnestness and everything and it's yeah. like yeah like what uh, just the most bizarre comparison to make but 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 you at know, the same it's time, it's a funny line, kind of... but it's also like that's him saying, like, "Well, some of us are good at some things, and some of us are good at other things, and who cares? You know, you're you're good at some things, and you'll be fine." You know, <laughs> it is. But at the same time, like, it goes back to the earnestness because, like, you do get the sense that the doctor has tried to make a meringue before, and he really <laughs> was bad at it. He honestly like, like, believes he... that, like, the the reading and writing and making of the meringue are like equivalent. You know, like, yeah, you know, their strengths and weaknesses and, and we all and have I, them. I can totally picture, you know, two kids having a conversation and one kid being really upset about, you know, the fact that he can't write very well. And the other kid being upset that like, yeah, like he tried to pick a worm up and it, you know, yeah, broke into two pieces or something like, you know, right. like two things that have completely nothing to do with each other. Yeah. But yeah. on sort of kid logic level because they're both bad at them and because yeah. they're both earnest and because they're both being honest about just who they are, like they're connecting on a completely yeah. different level than anyone else does. It's not, it's not like, it's not condescending. Uh, it's not condescending. Right. And I yeah. was just thinking the, the way I was going to phrase it was, it's not like an adult talking down to a child and trying to relate, so to speak, because right. they're not no. trying, they're just no, relating. He just does relate on that right. level. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's, that that's important. Um, yeah. And I think that's also where, in a sense, you get him relating to Nazreen a little bit later because Nazreen is like, you know, when she's saying, I want to go with you, it's like, this is her dream. This is whether from childhood or not, like, I don't remember exactly how she says, but, but basically she's saying, this is what I've always wanted to do. So Like, I'm going to go and I'm going to explore and, and, you know, I'm going to be there. So I think there, I think there's, you know, it's that, I mean, we call it a childlike mentality. Maybe that's just wrong because it's sort of like the mentality that everyone should have about their passion, you know, about the things that they really want to do and, and, and just being earnest in the moment and, you know, wanting to explore and, and learn about the things you want to learn about. Um. Yeah. I was telling you before this podcast, like I spent my day today researching scarves for my <laughs> job, you know, which is nothing that I've ever would have thought about doing it. But I actually found some really interesting stuff in the history and, you know, various etymologies of words related to scarves and yeah. you know stuff like that. Like, I, you know, I'm I'm no fashion guy. I don't really wear scarves that much, but it's one of those things where like, you know, if you can enjoy the process and because I enjoy writing and researching about things like, you know, I was able to do that in a way that was enjoyable to me and that's cool yeah. and that's fine. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. well, I'm apparently and I also a child. Think, I think so like there's that. So if we continue with this kind of childlike quality, you know, and, and we're talking about all these really, you know, positive aspects of that. And it is a hugely lovable, you know, quality, you know, and it does make him fun to watch and easy to relate to other people. But I think you also get, that could be related also to, you know, relating to Elliot on the same level. Then 
you get that moment where Elliot says, I'm going to go get my headphones. And the doctor just says, okay, you know, yeah, whatever. Like, just you like, know, uh, go, yeah, no big deal. Right. And it doesn't even occur to him, you know, to yeah. be authoritative and parental in that moment, you know, of saying, you know what, better not, kid. We're going to shut this down pretty soon. You're not going to have time. There's monsters out there, whatever. Mm-hmm. He just sort of mm-hmm. accepts, you know, again, relating to Elliot on that level as a peer. He doesn't, you know, it, and it generally doesn't seem to occur to him, you know, to kind of worry and be protective in that moment. And I don't think that's because he doesn't want to protect people. Clearly he does. Sure. But, you know, but you also get that kind of slight um, carelessness that can go with the childlike of kind of, you know, being maybe a little bit more trusting and a little less... Um, you know, of a kind of protector than he might be, you Mm. know, in that. So, you know, potentially a negative aspect of it, of just kind of letting him go off and assuming that it's fine. There's no big deal here, you know, Um, and getting called out for it later by Ambrose. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. Cause I did want to talk about his relationship to Ambrose too, cause there's, a little, a little less, bit of tension there. <laughs> a little less relating going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and you know, understandably too, I think, because you know, so the first of all, I mean, Ambrose just lost her husband, so yeah, you know, she's worried and upset and frustrated and doesn't know who the doctor is or why she should put her trust in him. Um, so you know, I mean, all of that aside, I mean, she does sort of trust him initially at first until then she also loses her son (laughs) like yeah and not just she lost her son and now can the doctor help but it was the doctor's sort of carelessness like you said that that led to his being lost so you know there's definitely definitely some uh problems developing there um the the other thing, of course, is so she brings all these weapons, right? And it's like, oh, well, you told us we're going to we got to protect ourselves. So this is how I'm going to do that. And he doesn't have any of it. So there's there's yeah. this like ongoing sort of tension, you know, between power the two of them. On, yeah, yeah. Like, well, and, and for all that he's childlike, he's a little bit intimidating in that moment. You know, you kind of get this. Yeah. Oh, I'm asking you nicely. You get this kind of creepy smile of like, I'm asking you nicely means don't make me ask I'm you really any not other asking. way. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, and a and a slightly, you know, uh, like the smile. If there's one, if there's one insincere moment, and it's that it's that idea that like the smile is just, you know put on to get her to agree he doesn't really mean it like he he means the kind of more veiled not threat but like yeah i'm not joking around you can't do this you know um yeah um so anyway yeah i think for the doctor and interesting stuff i think that was sort of my biggest i don't know insight revelation Mm -hmm. i don't know uh epiphany (laughs) Uh-huh. And what other words do I need to pull out this as far as um no for this for this particular episode is just that that idea that he's now sort of 
come into his own and, and his yeah. own is, is this childlike state. So, yep. um, I don't know that there's much more to say about that. Uh, the, the whole, um, you know, like the plot points. Okay. So he, so they capture the Silurian. I mean, mm-hmm. so he figures out who they are first and then uses that knowledge, I guess, to sort of lure them in and capture them and, or right. her. Uh, and that's fine. And then they're, you know, they go in the TARDIS and they fall down. And <laughs> I like that he's blathering on about, oh, it's, you know, like a small tribe, you know. Yeah, probably does, 12, you dozen know. Dozen at the most, yeah. Yeah. And, it turns out to be this huge uh, underground civilization of Silurians. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you want to talk about them real quick now at all. I don't know that we have much to say about the Silurians. Yeah, I guess we, I guess we could. Um, like, I just wanted to mention the fact that they are a classic monster. So we're getting, you know, usually once every season we get, Mm-hmm. You know, a classic brought back. So this is the Silurians. So they're from, uh, I think they started in 1970, and they came back a few times after that. So they were, you know, a fairly well-known, um, you know, monster. So, you know, but now with, you know, it used to be kind of big, bulky rubber masks, and they all look the same. But now we get nice, like, prosthetics, and they can actually, mm-hmm. like talk and look different from each other and everything so right um updated for the series and and they get nice cgi extendable tongues and everything and (laughs) and you didn't have before sort of like the throw off explanation from the doctor of like oh these are like a different uh line or different you know branch of the species right right so he's met people like them but not these but not exactly right right yeah yeah so you kind of get the idea that they you know, that there are these various tribes which have been in hibernation for, you know, millennia, um, and they periodically will, you know, wake up and often meet the doctor. (laughs) So, um, I guess I also, well, so I think there's a couple other things to talk about. One being, um, just this notion of, um, their, being, you know, I mean, I think we've met a lot of, quote, monsters that aren't really monsters. Like, I think the show does that a lot, where, like, it's not always something evil or that something that is, you know, has, like, you know, malicious motivation. That frequently you do meet, you know, other creatures who are, like, good, or maybe it's just a, you know, misunderstanding or an accident or whatever. So I think this Mm -hmm. is a example of one of those like monsters that aren't really monsters that they you know are you know i guess the indigenous you know species on planet earth they're homo reptilia (laughs) rather than homo sapiens so you know they see themselves as the rightful owners of the planet and they have been you know invaded and sort of you know marginalized and have been sort of in hibernation and now you know this big drill is coming and gonna you know kill all their people while they're sleeping you know so they can't even like sleep peacefully so you know as much as they're you know attacking they see themselves as you know the attacked and the oppressed and everything so kind of an interesting setup you know which obviously we're gonna get back to you next week of 
how each side sort of has a legitimate viewpoint. So you get the doctor trying to be hostage negotiator of like, okay, everyone calm down, like, let's talk, you know, and his kind of point being, nobody has to die, like, this doesn't have to be a one side win situation, you know, if everyone, you know, keeps control and thinks rationally and is understanding of the other side, we could actually get out of this pretty peacefully. Sure. Um, so right. we'll see how that goes. But um, <laughs> the other thing I wanted to mention is I think this episode kind of works in that kind of tradition of, I guess, adventure story slash, you know, sci-fi fantasy of, mm. you know, explorers either in like, you know, the jungle or often like drilling to the center of the earth and, you know, uncovering this kind of lost ancient prehistoric civilization either of like yeah you yeah. know either of like a monstrous being or usually of dinosaurs you know like i think of like arthur conan doyle's the lost world or um jules verne I don't know, yeah journey, journey, journey to, to the center of the, center earth. Of the earth um there's mm -hmm. a edgar rice burroughs one um the land that time forgot which has dinosaurs and there was yeah. land of the lost that tv show so you yeah. know these aren't dinosaurs per se but they're you know, reptile Rep people, reptilian people. Yeah. Yeah. So it, I not think that far of, off, <laughs> not far off at all. So I think it kind of, you know, I don't know that it contributes any huge innovation to that genre, but it, I think that's kind of in that tradition. Yeah. Doctor who does genre insert genre here stories, mm. you know? So it's sort of like, what is the version of this subgenre that, you know, people have been telling stories about. Sure. So, which is kind of fun, I think. Sure. Sure. Yep. Um, so, we talked a lot about the Doctor and Rory. Anything anything related to Rory that's not related to the Doctor that you wanted to hit on? And we also talked about Rory and Amy. So, I guess, literally, right. just... <laughs> um, I get the, the part, sort of, where he's by himself... Mm -hmm. um, not completely by himself, where he's with Ambrose and Elliot, I guess. But, like, you know, it's just him. It was kind of funny. I mean, like, the whole, like, he's like, oh, like, I have to do something. Like, yeah. he doesn't, oh, okay. he, yeah. you, know, you know, it's not just that he has to follow the doctor instead of following Amy. It's like, he literally has to figure out what's going on. And, and just, yeah. like, I like sort of his working through the process of, like, okay, they think I'm, you know this investigator of right. from the police and I'm okay. There's this open grave that I don't really understand what's going to go on, but I'm just going to climb down here and like stomp around in puddles for a bit yeah. to see yeah. what's happening. <laughs> like, yeah. like you just kind of, he, and then like Elliot's, Elliot's like, like giving him steps ahead of him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's oh, okay. Like what? <laughs> Until yeah. finally, his solution is just to run back and go tell the doctor that like, uh, the graves yeah. are eating people. Like that's <laughs> the big conclusion he comes to, and the yeah. doctor's like, "I don't, I can't even listen." That's to like it the right least now. of my worries right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so I mean, that's that's all kind of funny, but I mean, I do, I I like that we get to see a little bit of him sort of on his own. Uh, yeah. You know, sort of interacting and and it. I mean, I, Amber, like, why would this? you know, there's this blue police box that just appears and Rory steps out of it and she's like, oh good, you're here. Like, <laughs> what? What's going on? 
Like that well, was I guess fast. She called, I know. guess she called the police, but she must have. Yeah, yeah, I think but... she. I think she did because that's like she noticed the the uh, empty grave when they went to bury her aunt or something. So she right, called them. Right. I presume to to come investigate. You know? No, that that makes sense. But it's just like it's it's like yeah, but it's just this blue police box. There's like no truck, no yeah. Like how did it get there? You know, no indication of it having moved or been moved or whatever. And, yeah. you know, th- they think it's like a portable crime lab and stuff. It's right. just like, it's pretty, it's pretty funny. It's a, it's a funny sort of situation, but, um, yeah. yeah. Of course, the I other know. thing I was thinking, mm-hmm. I actually was the first time I think watching it, uh, you know, we see Amy get pulled down in the earth and then like the next scene is like Rory stomping around in the grave. I totally right. thought he was going to get pulled down. Well, I was, too. I was going to mention that. Cause I think there is a little bit of a parallel there because so not only do you have like about the same time that Amy's getting pulled into the earth, you have Rory going into the earth in the grave. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also the fact that he's, you know, in a grave and she's, uh, when she wakes up under the earth, yeah. she's in that kind of coffin, like mm-hmm. that, that glass box to me feels mm-hmm. like a coffin. Oh you yeah. Know? yeah, yeah. So I, I got think the same there's exact feeling. there's some paralleling, you know. And I'm not quite sure what you know, what else to say about that other than to say that as they're in two different places, they're kind of being like going through, you know, kind of the imagery that they're going through is similar to each other. Sure. Um, and we so. get a long time between when we see Amy. Like, yeah, like she's off screen for quite a while. Yeah. Um, and uh, only to come on screen for like a second, <laughs> less than a minute until yeah. she gets gassed, you know, yeah. into yeah. oblivion. Um, and then we don't see her again till the very end yeah. where, um, you know, the, the penultimate scene where, you know, I guess. So that that was Mo, right? Is that yeah. his name yeah. um, next to her? Yeah, the the dad. Yeah, the dad, and uh, apparently they're performing vivisections right. on humans. Like this is some scary stuff going on. Yeah, um, she's understandably upset. Uh, we just a couple episodes saw her, you know, trapped as well, uh, where she was being bitten by vampires. So yeah, like, um, yeah, Amy seems to not be in such great situations yeah. all the time. So, no. um, anyway, uh, no, that's true. I think that is, those are pretty scary moments of, of the claustrophobia of being in the coffin, you know? Oh like, yeah. Yeah. Like how close oh, that's that is. Totally that's one of my worst really fears. scary. And, um, like when I have nightmares, those are the nightmares I have like that. I can't move and like yeah. I'm trapped somewhere. Yeah. Yep. And then, um, yeah. And then great. Now I'm going to have one tonight. Probably. (laughs) It would be my first doctor who nightmare. There you Um, go. That would be funny if it was this episode that did it. Um, and then, uh, and then like, yeah, the, him saying, you know, they dissected me and then the, 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 you know, Dr. Silurian coming at her with the like giant needle and the, you know, and and not just that they dissect and everything. Not just that they dissected him, but that they waited till he was awake to do it. Yeah, like, that he's like awake and alive the whole time. And yeah. like, yeah. It's not um, like she just looks over and sees him unconscious. It's like he's totally aware and like, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, not a so, good situation for Amy. Anyway. And the ends, not. too. I mean, uh, being sucked down, 
is pretty, you know, she has a moment of like, you know, thinking she's going to die and suffocate and everything. Yeah, um, understandably. Being, so we get several, you know, scaring the crap out of Amy moments in this episode. <laughs> right. Um, so, yeah. All that said, I don't have much to say about, like, the other Mac, is it? No, or... I mean, I guess we should note that he's been sort of poisoned in some way that like oh the, yeah, yeah, yeah the silurian kind of flicks him with his with her tongue right and, and it seems to be a, an infection of some sort that's spreading in his bloodstream yeah it's like his veins are turning green and everything so and and the doctor mentions a poison sack or something that has to be re was he say right. something about like it takes 24 hours to you know read read generator i don't know the, the whatever i don't the, remember whatever it is um because that's like part of the data right that tells him who these creatures are i think um, oh well i guess so before we finish i guess the last thing is to kind of end where the episode does which is this prediction of alaya's that you know one of them is going to kill her and you know mm. that that's going to be she kind of seems to want that to happen to start this like war, you know. Yeah. Um. So it's I like guess the... she's the Archduke Ferdinand of the sure, right. Yeah, right. And she's like hungry for that role. Um, right. She she wants to be a martyr for her people so that they'll get her their home back and everything. So, I guess the question being, you know, do you think that's her just sort of messing with their heads do you think she actually does think that one of them you know who does she because she says i know who it is and she sort of teases them with that like do you think she actually does think that or is that just her like trying to psych them out and you know provoke them or something i mean both (laughs) like i think she thinks that by sort of teasing and provoking she can bring out you know one of them to perform it um and so if the question is whether to predict who that might be, I mean, I feel like the obvious choice is Max, so it probably isn't him. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like, but I mean, like she flicked him. He's, and he seems to be sort of the most dominant and like controlling of the people who are left. But I could also see an argument for Ambrose doing it. Because both her son and her husband have gone. I doubt it would be Rory. But that's... Again, like, because he seems the least likely, like, maybe that makes him the most likely. Right, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I'm I, yeah. I'm trying to, like, outguess, you know. Right, it's like that Agatha Christie thing of whoever's the least yeah. likely is going to be it, yeah. So, you know, I... My money would be on Mac, I guess, is... I'll I'll just leave it at that, and we'll see how okay. right I may or may not be. Okay. Now Sounds watch like good. three seconds in, into the next episode. I'll realize, <laughs> no, it wouldn't be him because, I don't know, yeah. whatever. He's too incapacitated by the poison Yeah, because he dies of Silurian poison 30 seconds yeah. into the episode. <laughs> yeah. So, all right, well, all we'll right. see. I guess I'll figure it out tonight. Yeah, yeah, Uh, that's true. So, on to Angel. Yes. So, um, I want to start just by acknowledging 
the first uh, writing credit for Tin Minear, um, mm-hmm. who I know you're a fan of. Um, I am. And I'm a fan of, too. Um, and I think he's worth pointing out, because I think not only does he go on to write a lot of episodes of Angel, I think I'm right in saying he's probably one of the, you know, most important creative figures in Angel, like that he has some say in the direction of the show and everything, um, and goes on to do other things with Whedon, too. I mean, I know he kind of co-ran Firefly and wrote a lot of those episodes and everything. Mm -hmm. And did he do anything with, like, Dollhouse, or I don't know Um, uh, whether that was a project. I don't think Dollhouse, but I mean, I think... And I know he's done a lot of other things without Whedon as well, like, you know... Right, and and American Horror Story and all those other things, so... Yeah, so, right, and I think, I don't remember if we mentioned this, but, like, his, uh, his Twitter... His, my favorite Twitter handle of all time. Go ahead. Canceled again. (laughs) Yep, yep. So, uh, definitely great, because, uh, along with Firefly, which was canceled in the first season, um, he had a lot of shows, and, and he's gone on to do a number of things with, like, other Whedon related, you, you know, like Whedon linked people and stuff. But right. um, yeah, I don't think he had much to do with Fire or uh, yeah, he had much to do with Firefly. I don't think he had much to do with Dollhouse. But now that I say that, like I'm probably just forgetting something obvious. Um, well, yeah, and and the the point being, he's an important guy to kind of keep our eye on. Yeah, so he definitely um, stays with angel for a while and and you're right he is a producer so it's not just like he's not just he doesn't just get hired to write an episode like he's highly involved in everything yeah um so i will say actually though that strangely enough um he and whedon did not necessarily get along right away he did write some episodes of dollhouse i apologize i uh did not recall that, but uh, not not many, like three or four, it looks like. So then again, it was only on two seasons, so nobody wrote many. Right. Um, <laughs> uh, so, um, but he's he, he has gone on to do a lot of other things uh, besides. Um, he did a very short, four episodes, in fact, uh, only two of which I believe actually aired, a uh, show called Drive with Nathan <laughs> Fillion. That um, might be a record. <laughs> Uh, he did a show called Wonder Falls, which is actually quite good. Oh, I've heard uh, about that. Yeah. I would I would definitely encourage anyone uh, out there, if you like Tim Minear uh, and the stuff that he's done, um, either with Whedon or without, to, to check that out. Uh, before uh, Angel, he, he wrote episodes of X-Files. Uh-huh. Um, and and yeah, so I mean, there. I mean, I could go on, but he he he's got a bunch of of shows. He actually, um, I learned in an interview, uh, actually, that he did just earlier this year, that he has like a long term contract with Fox, um, you know, twentieth century or whatever, whatever the yeah. TV version of Fox is that do, you know that produces these various shows. Um, right. He has like a long a long term. Um, uh, relationship with them that basically they'll just send him to sort of do like what Joss Whedon even did with scripts, but you know, he does it with TV shows where he, he becomes like a doctor of the show and right, you know like tries to doctor, fix it yeah. up and, yeah. and help with that. Um, 
one other thing that he did that he wrote but has never come to fruition and i wish i wish it would have because it would be like the perfect storm of great awesomeness is he actually wrote a script for uh the moon is a harsh mistress which Mm. is uh the, the it's an adaptation of a book that is my favorite book by one of my favorite authors, uh, Robert Heinlein. So like, you know, one of my favorite TV writers, you know, doing an adaptation of one of my favorite books of one of my favorite, you know, regular authors would just, would just be like the dream. It's like if you could pick your dream project and, you know, there you go. That's it. Um, last year when I was at the, the Jocelyn June conference, um, I, got to meet Dr. Amy Sturgis, uh, who said that she actually has met Tim Minear and got to speak with him, uh, not only just in general about weed and stuff, but about that script and whatever. So I, yeah. you know, very voraciously listened to everything that she said about it. But anyway, yeah, you're so like um, two, two steps removed from, <laughs> I know, right. You need to get, you need to, <laughs> you need to use that contact to get like a job on that know, show or I something. Know. Well, I, I, I am Facebook friends with Tim Minear, which obviously means a lot. So yeah. um, it appears that he just Facebook friends everyone. But, um, you know, I'm not calling him any names that that might be. But anyway, so, um, yeah, I, I I totally like a lot of stuff. And it's funny because, like, even, like, I didn't really know who he was until I started looking at, you know, weed and stuff. But, um you know, once I learned that he had written for like the X-Files and, and stuff, like I went back and looked yeah. at the episodes that he wrote and they are definitely some good episodes there too. So it's, you know, he's certainly not just sort of a fluky guy or whatever, but it, yeah. it, it's, he, he seems pretty consistent um, that he does some good stuff. It just doesn't always work out, you know, from a Fox production well, company standpoint, I guess. And all you need to, <laughs> all you need to look at is Firefly to realize that the most, Oh yeah. You know, sometimes the best shows are not always the most successful in conventional terms. You know, all, mm-hmm. obviously Firefly has been successful, but you know, not yeah, post, from the post facto. point of view. You know, <laughs> right. yeah, it had a it had a wonderful afterlife, <laughs> mm-hmm. but um, and but I'm not canceled seen... sort of prematurely. So you know, yeah. that's not always a great marker of quality. You know, yeah, um, yeah. I've not seen. Um... American Horror Story yet, although I've heard great things about it, and it's run for three seasons, which I yeah, think is that's like, sort of on my to do list. <clears throat> other other than Angel, uh, I think it's like the longest that he's been on any show. Because uh, even like the other show, like X Files, he was only he only wrote a couple episodes in in one right. season. Uh, right. Before that, he wrote um, some episodes of Lois and Clark. Uh, Classic. Which, um, but again, he only wrote, you know, during one season. So that yeah. show lasted longer than that, but, um, he wasn't on it for that long. So, uh, anyway. I watched bring... that as a kid. Oh, I, I watched it. I was not necessarily a kid, but, um, <laughs> just cause I'm a few years older, but anyway, so the, uh, yeah, anyway, big Tim Minear fan is what yeah. I am. Um, and <laughs> And so this particular episode, he, um, I, I like how you worded it. It has, it's, it's his first credit, uh, was not right. the first script that he wrote. I won't go too much into detail because we will get to, uh, the story that is the first script. Um, basically 
it, it'll come later this season, so I won't I won't go into that. But yeah, it, I mean, he wrote a script. It they sort of reshuffled some of the episodes, and and yeah. this one ended up falling uh, before that. But I I like this episode, so I don't have a problem with that at all. Um, sure. And all right. Anything yeah, else you a, wanted to say about him? Not a bad way him? to start. <laughs> um, I don't have anything else. No. Um, so I guess for the story, I guess maybe let's just start talking about the kind of conceit of um, yeah, you know the, oh. the sensitivity training and everything. Yeah. So actually, it, well, and maybe this is a good segue because something that Tim Minear wrote on on that very conceit is. Um, he says that it, it was actually, even though it wasn't technically the first thing he wrote, it was the first idea that he says he pitched to Whedon. Um, uh, he said, I wanted to deal with sensitivity in cops and, and cops who become so sensitive that they can't do their job. Uh, he liked, Whedon liked the idea. Uh, he thought it was interesting. Um, and he says that they actually approached it from sort of politically different points of view. Now, I don't know if that means that they actually held politically different points of view or if they were just sort of envisioning it as maybe having, you know, right. from a different point of view, whatever. But basically he said that it, you know, they just because of that sort of difference, they kind of hammered it out. And and so you get like these, you know, I think you do get a good sense of, you know, sort of like the ultra right wing, like hardcore like cops, you know, are just, you know, yeah. supposed to, you know, bust heads and, you know, do yeah. whatever. But then you also get like the very liberal of, you know, oh, criminals only, you know, do what they do because they've had a hard life and, you know, we should yeah. understand where they're coming from. So, which, I mean, both of those are ridiculous sort of Yeah, yeah, you get the extremes of um, like the, the no, you know, so kind of alpha male, tough, unemotional, right. you know, completely you know, shut down emotionally, but then you also get this sort of overly, you know, sensitive kind of, you know, bleeding heart and like, yeah. you know, completely unable to, you know, be effective because they're being, you know, far too, uh, yeah, they're coddling and whatever. Yeah. 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 Um, but so he goes on to say that the thing that was at the kernel of the idea though, was seeing angel become sensitive and just, the idea yeah. of him feeling that Doyle and Cordy judge him when he vamps uh, moments <laughs> like those were why he sort of wrote the script. Um, and then he also talks about the ending, but we can get to that later. Uh, so, <laughs> I mean, that's obviously a very funny moment um, when he talks about, it. I, I feel you judge me. I feel you judge <laughs> me. Um, but no, the... and, and, it, and it is one of those episodes where like you, um, the situation kind of, you know, we've gotten a couple of those in Buffy before where it's sort of a comedic situation that starts out sort of, you know, small and then just grows and grows and grows and becomes more and more ridiculous, you yeah. know? So it doesn't necessarily seem like it's going to be hugely funny in the beginning. It seems like, you know, your regular episode. But I think, like, the ludicrousness of, like, of these over-the-top emotions... Um, yeah, just gets funnier and funnier as it goes on, you know. Right. So at right. the end, you know, you get, you know, well, you start by getting the cops like, you know, fighting and arguing with each other and psychoanalyzing each other in the bar, and then it turns into like a big bar, you know, 
tavern brawl because, you know, they're also touchy and sensitive, you know, but by, you know, the end, they're like out on the street, you know, confiding in, you know, the, the criminals that they've caught or trying to like give a kind of, uh, you know, sensitive, you know, confession to like people who've just had a car accident, <laughs> you know, yeah. like you, yeah. you mentioned the guy who like, you know, it's presumably two people like a fender bender and he's talking about his emotional whiplash as opposed to like <laughs> right. physical whiplash. Yeah. Like yeah. if anyone's you know. a victim here, it's me. Yeah. <laughs> he says. And and the cop who's sort of talking to the guys that he's arrested about how he can't like he he doesn't see his family because the job's so demanding and he can't perform with his wife and all these things. And these yeah. guys are just standing there like, this is way too much information. And yeah. <laughs> or the one who reads, you know, wants to read a poem about the feelings that he had because he arrested the other guy. And, yeah. Know, yeah. And, yeah. and the, and the mobsters and uh, thugs who get let out of jail because yeah. the guy says like, you know, that, and I guess that's the critique, the political critique is like the person who says, you know, the system just makes them more violent. So we should just let them all go. And so he just opens up the doors and they all grab weapons and walk out and everything. Right. You know? And beat, beat the cop up. And yeah. 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 Um, right. <laughs> um, yeah, no, you're right. It does just sort of escalate. But I mean, as in sort of Whedon-onian fashion, uh -huh. uh, the, the, you know, it, it starts in that funny premise and gets you know, gets to that point where it becomes yeah so yeah. absurd, but then, uh, but then also like dangerous. And like you said, yeah. like, I mean, it, it, it doesn't just stay in the funny bit. It, no, there's exactly. actually a point to it. Um, and, and it reminds, well, it reminds me of like the kind of episodes that happen to Xander a lot of things that just are funny and spiral yeah. out of control to the point that they do get dangerous. <laughs> like what's the one where he, breaks up with Cordy and all the women start chasing after him and everything or, oh, or yeah, Cordy yeah, breaks yeah. up with him or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, what was that episode called now? I forget. Yeah. I, you're the Valentine, the Valentine's, title. the Valentine's day one, you right. know, where by the end, you know, the moms and the nurses and everything are like throwing themselves and he's like going to get killed by this mob of women. That's kind of what it reminds me of. Um, that kind of farcical situation. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there uh, is like real, sorry. No, that's fine. It's a bewitched, bothered, and bewildered. That one. Um, that's sort of what it reminded me of, but it does have a real, you know, it's not just funny. Like there is real danger that like once, you know, the little Tony gets let out, you know, he's got a shotgun mm -hmm. and he's going after Kate. So there's real danger there, you know? Um, yeah. but then there's also, you know, even though everyone is sort of, you know, under a spell, they're not necessarily responsible for what they're saying. At the same time, you do get that these are real emotions that are coming out that have been sort of buried, you know, like, mm -hmm. so what you're kind of getting is this exploration of Kate, who is, you know, this sort of, and we've seen from the little bit we've seen of her before, you do get that she's someone who is very sort of damaged emotionally, but that yeah. doesn't like to give that, you know, she doesn't like to air those feelings a lot. Like, right. you know, cause we kind of talked about how when we first meet her and she's pretending to just be, you know, a person in the bar, 
yeah, it's kind of an act because she's trying to suss out this serial killer. But also, we kind of talked about how that might have been some truth in the act. That she might have been using some of her own experience of not being able to trust people and having difficulty in relationships and everything to kind of, you know, there might have been, like, some truth, you know, in her own experience to that. Yeah. So you kind of are getting confirmation of that here, that, like, she's someone who, you know, is kind of a workaholic, you know, who doesn't have, you know, a lot, a hugely involved life outside of work. Like, I think her dad mentions, like, oh, I thought she was gay because she doesn't date anybody, you know, like, so she's not bringing, (laughs) thanks, Dad. Yeah. But she's not bringing, you know, uh, she's not someone who's had a lot of relationships or at least not, you know, long one, like long sustained ones where she's like introducing them to her dad or bringing them to a party or something that that's mm-hmm. like a rarity for her. Um, and you kind of get the sense that that's because she's very serious about her job, you know, and, you know, she's very focused on work and, you know, and we see that maybe, uh, the trust issues aren't just about her relationships, you know, her romantic relationships, but they might stem from this really ugly relationship with her father, you know? So in the end, it kind of culminates to be about an exploration of that. And, you know, maybe we can talk about that before we talk about the ending. Um, But I guess it starts out with, you know, seeing this really awkward you know, closed off relationship with her dad. Um, Mm -hmm. And then, you know, once they're kind of put under the spell, this just outpouring of all of this emotion and bitterness and anger and resentment at him of this lifetime of disappointment of what he's done. So, yeah, which is interesting because I I think that is really well written because you don't know at this point what the kind of magical element of the story is. So you're sort of just listening to her. Like, there's a couple clues, but on the first watch, I didn't know that, like, the sensitivity training was going to be... I didn't catch on to, like, the stick being, you know, magical. So when she starts to, like, do her speech, you kind of just think at first, like, oh, this is her just, you know, she's just had enough, and she's going to tell him what she thinks. Mm -hmm. And then it goes on and on and on, and she gets more and more emotional and and sobbing and all these things. And then you kind of eventually realize, all right, something's going on. And it's kind of funny, but it's kind of not, you know, because you know she actually does feel, you know, profoundly let by him and everything. And, like, like, because then the other cops start, like, making comments like, yeah, you you tell him, Kate. Like, you know, it's like, wait, what, what? Like, yeah. why are you sad? And yeah. and then the other guy's like, this isn't the forum for that. You know, it's yeah. like, yeah. you know, you, like when that starts happening, you, yeah, you start getting the idea. Yeah, that, then you realize, oh, it's not just her, that there's something going on in the group and everything. Yeah, yeah. Well, and even like at one point, uh, old man Lockley, you know, even says like, you know, what they do to you in that training? In like, that you know, like, training, like right. there is sort of the hint there that actually, yeah, something did happen, but. Then again, it's just the sort of kind of stupid thing that like the misplaced, uh, you know, reasoning that he would sort of have that we've already seen with uh, 
like you mentioned, you know, he he thinks that she's gay or whatever, like, right. you know, like just because she doesn't see guys doesn't necessarily mean she's gay. Like, you know what I mean? Like it just, like you said, right. she's a workaholic or whatever. So it's not like he has a great record of picking out that sort of things. He just happens right. to be right in this instance that yeah. there was and, something. And not, and not right in the way that he means it, but yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, but I, I think you're right, like, with the whole, like, there's not, I don't know, it, it sort of, like, loosens their inhibitions, you know, the, yeah. it, 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 I, it almost in a way makes them all a little more Cordelia-like, right. but, but we also get that contrast, too, because there's the moment where um, Kate is talking to Doyle and Cordelia, and she yeah. calls out that, you know, oh, someone has a crush. Like, right. you know, and Cordy's like, what? You know, what's going on? And she's like, oh, you see it. Like, you're yeah. just pretending. So there's even that, as much as we might think of Cordy as not having any filter, right. like, contrasted to someone who actually has no has filter. Has no filter, right. You realize <laughs> how much moment. of a filter she does have, um, yeah. Right, that there is at least some some stuff going on there that, that actually maybe she does ha- or has noticed you know, the attentions that Doyle has been giving her and herself, you know, she's afraid to not sort of reciprocate that or whatever. Like, so there's right. And that, and that the joke, you know, Kate says like, that's defense, you know, that even yeah, Cordy's yeah. humor is like, cause you think of Doyle like Xander as the kind of humor as the self-defense mechanism. But, right. but Kate says that that's true of Cordy now, you know, that she's mm-hmm. saying like, you know, because she says, look at Doyle, what do you see? And I forget what the joke is, Cordy makes fun of him or something. But, you know, and then Kate says, you know, don't do that. That's defensive. You know, you're doing right. that because you don't want to face, you know, your own feelings, you know. So, yeah. yeah, so then you do realize, and, and I think that's a good point about Cordy because the whole thing kind of starts with her annoyed at Angel for his lack of sensitivity. Yeah. But then... As soon as she sees sensitive Angel at the end, she realizes, I don't really want that. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. You know, like, it's pretty much the second he starts to get all kind of gushy, she's like, uh, ew. Like, <laughs> I don't want a hugging, crying, sensitive Angel. I'd rather that he just was stoic and did his vamp thing. And, you know. Yeah. Yeah. She kind of gets I, her a little more than she bargained for there. Yeah. I like that, um, you know what happened to Mr. Sensitivity. He was right here all the time, just <laughs> waiting to come out. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but anyway. Uh, yeah, no, I think, and I think it's really well done because I think you're right. Like there is, there is the funny, there is the danger, and there is the sort of poignancy of that underlying all of this. It's It's not just... Like, it's not, they're not saying anything they don't actually believe. And he, and I like how, like, even when they're, like, trying to get information from Angel, like, he knows everything. Like, he actually did interrogate the guy and got the information. Right. And, and, like, you know, he's upset that he had to use physical violence. Yeah. But, you know, but he did get the information and he didn't relate it. It's just, you have to sort of wade through all the sensitivity all the like stuff to get to the point yeah no and i and i I like that too about the end that like they still take out the bad guys right like you know angel and uh kate still like pull out the guns and punch them and like take them down like they're not completely 
out of control incapacitated you know they can still right you know do what they need like that was kind of surprising like i i don't know what i expected necessarily but they still like win you know from their own they're not like rescued or something like they still you know do their kind of hero thing mm-hmm. it's just that they make all this really sappy commentary along with it yeah, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't actually really change their behavior so much as much as they're they, they they feel compelled to talk about their feelings as they're doing it you know right well and that's sort of the stereotype right that sensitivity equals weakness and it's right and it doesn't the case and i guess maybe that's the surprising element of you you expect them to get i would have like i would have expected them to become just a puddle that is unable Mm. to defend themselves and i like that they're not you know that yes they're you know unable to control their feelings but they're still able to control their actions and defend themselves and Mm -hmm. you know um so um, I like, so if we're going to talk about angel and sensitive angel, yeah. um, we also have to contrast that with angel trying to be sensitive, right. <laughs> uh, where he, where he goes up and, and like, and it's even like, like Doyle has to give him like the nod, like, you know, yeah. go, go be sensitive at the yeah. moment. And he's like, uh, you know, uh. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm. Thank you for going through these coroner reports because that that must suck to have to go through coroner reports. And her response is just lame. Yeah, yeah. Like, Courtney's like reaction. not even, not even gonna acknowledge or you know the attempt on that no. one. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I thought that was funny. No, but, it is. It is very funny. Um. And and so sort of the other humorous moment of him dressing up like a tourist, you know, yeah. about to go to, I don't know, Caribbean or whatever, whatever. And uh, <laughs> just totally, you know, who's the mook? Because that he totally is a mook. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. like you take the it's kind of the, the definition sort of, of mook. Yeah, just the funny looking guy. Um and uh you yeah, know and again that, getting that kind of reminds me of the first episode where he's pretending yeah. to be drunk in the bar that you're getting to see like angels undercover you know how he can like he's yeah. not like a you know on his own he's you know mr brooding and and stoic and and straight laced and kind of uh i don't know funny but deadpan whereas like mm-hmm. his undercover is always like really over the top and goofy yeah yeah. well and there's um you know i was it second or third episode where he um you know goes up to the guardhouse right when cordy uh when cordy is taken Uh um you know and and she right because she recognizes the vampire based on the fact that he has no mirrors and and so he's like going up to the guardhouse like oh where's this you know I'm so lost and like the same, yeah. same yeah. type of thing. So yeah, no, you get all of these different, um, or, or was that the first episode? Actually? I think that's was the that first the, one. Was that yeah. what you were talking about? Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. I, I was getting confused there. It's um, later in that first, cause it starts yeah. with him drunk in the bar, but then yeah, it's in that first right. episode I think, where cause that's he what and Doyle I was thinking. go back to the mansion. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. Right. And Doyle is like, Oh, I don't, I don't do danger. And he's just like, come on. Anyway, we're not talking about that, but it it is, it is reminiscent of that 
you know, same sort of thing where you're getting, yeah, to see a, a different side of both Angel and Boreanaz, you know, uh, right. as an actor, and, like and that's kind stretching of, a little. That's kind of a good way to do it because Angel as a character, you don't want him to, it would be out of character for him to be goofy like that, you know, so you want to keep him in character, but um, having him, you know, confront people undercover is a good way to right. to explore the what the actor can do. You know, like he can be, you know, a mook if if he's pretending to be a mook and he can be a convincing mook, you know? So yeah. it's yeah. Sort of a good way to kind of have your cake and eat it too. Like he can still right. be, you know, angel with pensive face. You know, I always <laughs> have pensive face, but um but, you know, except for when I'm being when I'm acting undercover. Except when, like, yeah, when he's the detective, and then he can kind of put on a role to get yeah. the bad guy off his guard and everything. So. And stuff like this, where there's a spell or something that changes your behavior. That always is fun, too. Sure. Um, and it kind of ends with him and Kate hugging it out. You know, come here, you. You know. Um, and then they're kind of back to their awkward... They're not quite sure what they said, you know, and right. maybe don't want to like, aren't sure yeah. what they're, it, it's kind of seems like they don't really remember a whole lot, you know, and that's kind of hard to tell. Maybe they're pretending because they're embarrassed, you know, so. Yeah, and that's what I, I, I wonder because yeah, Kate seems to remember leaving messages on her father's right. answering machine. So right. I'm not totally 100% convinced that they don't actually remember and, and. Like, because there's the moment um, at the end of the pack when Xander, yeah. you know, pretends to not remember. Yeah. Whatever. Conveniently you know. doesn't remember the thing he wishes he hadn't done. <laughs> right. And yeah. and Giles, you know, says, oh, I don't remember memory being a problem. with it. So, like, yeah. there's nothing to imply here that memory is affected at all by this particular right. spell. But but I think it's part of that awkwardness and the suppression uh which is the same, which is interesting in light of what her father then does. But actually, yeah. before that, I want to finish Angel because okay. I had a couple, yeah, just a couple other things. And actually, between Angel and Kate, um, I want to talk about. So when she, when they're when Angel takes sensitive Kate back to, um, you know, the investigations headquarters there, and they're, um, you know, she's like in the chair, and Cordy comes in and whatever. So she has the whole thing with Cordy and Doyle. But there's also a moment where she says to Angel, you have the most intense eyes. Yeah. And But then she says, I see such an old soul. And she picks up on the fact that Angel's hiding something from yeah. her. Yeah. And, and she doesn't know what it is and whatever. So I just, I want to make sure we at least notice that because yeah. old soul obviously has, yeah. you know, is a double entendre there. Like, you know, we talk, we talk about people who are old souls and that's, you know, right. that's sort of has a certain meaning. But of course, I mean, Angel is old and he has a soul and, you know, they're, you know, yeah. Yeah. the missing part is the part that Cordy almost blurts out that he's a vampire. So yeah. like, yeah, like so he shouldn't, the, and his, the fact that he has a soul is kind of what makes him unique as a vampire and everything. <clears throat> right. <clears throat> so there's definitely, um. You know, some like, and you have to wonder, like, again, I don't, I don't know that we're meant to think that the sensitivity training has given her any special powers of insight. 
It's right. just removed that filter. So, yeah. like, are these things that she's noticed all along, and it's just that now we're getting the expression of it because she doesn't have the filter that stops her from saying it out loud? Yeah. Um, possibly. Or, or it possibly is that she just happens to notice it then, and so she's saying it then. It may not be that she ever um, noticed yeah. it before, but it, it, it just seems like, you know, something that is worth at least noting at this point. Yeah, yeah. And then we do get to the end where they hug it out, um, and Angel's leaving, but he stays just in time to see old man Lockley come and yeah. talk to Kate, and his response is forget it all forget it it never happened yeah never happened all that stuff you said to me in front of my friends and it is like the gut wrench of i think uh in that one of those uh interviews or websites you were mentioning tim minear talked about that 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 being um a a whedon idea you know that his original draft ended with the dad, you know, learning something and kind of, and you know, and out. hugging yeah. it out. Um, and it was Whedon's instinct to say, no, <laughs> yep. no, screw that. Um, and I mean, it's, it's, it just makes it, it elevates it to that next level because there's nothing wrong with the, you know, you know, happy ending of we learned something, but yeah. it is a moment where you feel like you do know you are, you know, pretty sure you know what's going to happen. That like, right. this this obviously is going to culminate in a reconciliation, or at least mm-hmm. the first steps towards, you know, you know, a moment of her breaking through at least the first layer of her dad's sort of tough, you know, uh-huh. you know, outer layer. Um, and so it is such a wrench then that he, you know, it makes me think of. Um, Seinfeld the 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 mission statement of Seinfeld was no hugging no crying no learning you know that all the all the things that (laughs) you think you expect of the end of a sitcom you know is you hug you cry and you learn something you know I think of and I loved the show as a kid but like you know Full House ended every single episode with you know one of the adults sitting down with one of the girls and the music comes on and we have a little chat about what we learned this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then it was kind of a revolution for Seinfeld to, and, and not to compare those two shows, because clearly they're working for different audiences and everything, but that's kind of the, the ground that Seinfeld broke was our characters are not going to change. They are going to continue to be, you know, uh, selfish. Who they and are and make the same They mistakes. are who they are and they're not going to learn anything. And these, this is a show about selfish, self-centered people. Um, and that's the humor is like, you know, and there's yeah. something really true about that, you know, <laughs> that that's, you know, it turns out, you know, to me, Seinfeld is the show that relates to everything, you know, everything in life. You can relate to that show. It's, there's something really realistic about the world you know um Mm. so i think there's nothing you know like i mean i think we see our characters on these shows grow and hug and cry and learn you know there's nothing wrong with that but not everyone is like that you know that there are some people who are just shut themselves off and they are who they are and 
they can't necessarily change or they're not willing to. And it, you know, you kind of feel like, you know, if, you know, this guy, you know, a long time ago, you know, I guess because of the loss of the wife and everything, just sort of, you know, and maybe other things, maybe like the pressures of the job and being in a, being in a job where it is about being very, you know, strong alpha male and everything. So for whatever yeah. reason has just sort of shut himself off, you kind of realize that the events of one day aren't necessarily going to change that. And especially something which to him is like a public humiliation. You know, this yeah. isn't like a moment of bonding with his daughter. This is his daughter having a complete emotional breakdown in front of all of his buddies, you know, and it, mm -hmm. and rather than uh, getting through to him, it probably does the opposite. You know, it makes right. him just say like, you know, even more defensive than he was before. So I think there's like a, a shocking truthfulness to the end of that episode because you feel like you know how this is going to go. And then it says, well, it doesn't always go like that, you know? Right, right. Yeah. So. I agree with all of that. I think that was a good instinct of Whedon's. Um, and right. he's really good at knowing when to do that because he doesn't do that every all the time. You know, you do get a lot of, you know, I don't think he's constantly trying to like, you know, push you around as a viewer and subvert everything. You know, like I think he picks the right times when it's really important to do that. Mm -hmm. um, and it's sort of, they're sparse enough, but they're always really sort of uh, important when they happen. Right. Right. Um, yeah. And I mean, because <laughs> you do have that feeling at the end of the episode that really not much has changed. Yeah. Um, although I, you know, at the same time, you do have at least Angel there to witness it. Sure. Um, even if they don't acknowledge it, I still think that there's something in memory of the no, fact and, that and you get you get these other stuff between Angel and Kate. But when I but you're say right, nothing like, changes, I mean with the dad. I mean, I, yeah, no, I, no, I no. Think, I, I am not saying like Kate and Angel didn't learn anything, but uh, yeah. you know, I'm specifically talking about the moment with her father. Yeah, no, no, I think that's right. But I just want to, um, you know, just just to point that out because I think, um, especially you get that point. So we've, we've talked about like the sort of half joking in, in previous episodes of, you know, the, uh, like, like there's, there's one point where angel, you know, comes to Kate's office and Kate's like, Oh, you know, based on your nervousness, you're either here to ask me for a favor or to ask right. me out. Right. And, and, and I, we get a sort of asking out here, you know, right. and it's under, again, the influence of the sensitivity training. But at right. the same time, you get there's that question of, is this something that she's been wanting to do? So, right. you know, she says, listen, what are you doing tomorrow night around eight ish? My father, you know, around eight ish, which is totally like, you know, right. code for date time, date time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you know, my father's having his retirement party thing, you know, with a bunch of old cop buddies. I'm supposed to say a few words. It would be nice if there was at least one person who wasn't, you know, armed, which, you know, again, it's like, 
you know, it's not about being armed. It's about, will you going for me? And then she says, it'd be a favor. So again, you get this call back to, right. you know, you're either here to ask me for a favor or to ask me out. And it's like, right. you're well, kind of doing both in this and, instance. Yeah. And I guess with you know, those, with the characters, we're getting like favors and dates sort of coupled. Like, you know, they kind of mm-hmm. aren't quite sure. And we're not quite sure, like how much of it is them being like sort of, co-workers in these investigations and how much is it you know because they like each other or are interested right. and how is how is the asking each other for professional favors like a mask for like wanting to see each other you know right or, you know because at the beginning of the episode she she's like she wants to keep it strictly professional it's right. not a favor right. i pay you that's how it goes you know yeah. like very yeah. much you know on that professional level and then you know here we're you know mid-episode we're getting her asking him out basically, but not quite. And then there's like the illusions of, um, you know, Oh, you know, your friend, you know, this is my friend. And, you know, like the, the sort of, again, sort of like buzzword, you know, I'm not calling boyfriend. It's not, you know, we're not dating. We're just friends, you know? And, uh, you know, angels like, well, it's a new pause friendship, (laughs) you know, like, like there's that, like, you know, again, that sort of the hesitation, the awkwardness of not quite sure what to, to call it. And um, the father, of course, seems to assume certain things based on that. Um, yeah. So. Again, like like there is this this. Relationship of some type happening, but, uh, you know, maybe even less than relationship or more than relationship, whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, it's an understanding and trust. I think that's being built up yeah. even more sort of between the two of them. And I think the fact, I, I guess I would say, you know, in light of all of that, like that it is significant that angel stays and sees yeah. the interaction between Kate and her old man at the end there. It's not yeah. just the two of them there. If, even if, Everybody in the office is ignoring them, perhaps intentionally ignoring them, yeah. you know, knowing sort of how old man Lockley is. Yeah, like, sort of pointedly ignoring them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, angels, at least there, observing them. Um, yeah. Sort of off to the side, half around the corner in the shadows, like he usually observes everything. Right. But he's there seeing it and, uh, right. you know, definitely there's there's something happening between the two of them. I think it's safe to say um, that that seems to be the case. So just wanted to point that out. Yeah, no, he definitely, like, I think, you know, liked her before, but like is now getting some insight into why she is the way that she is, you know, and, Mm -hmm. you know, you kind of get her origin story, I guess, you know? Yeah. Um, Yep. Which is interesting given that, she's now kind of getting more and more intrigued about his mystery, you know, and he's kind of learning right. where she's coming from, you know, he's seeing where she's coming from and she hasn't really, she has yet to find out why he is the way he is and everything. Sure. So. Um, and also like, so, you know, going back to what Tim Ineer said about the kernel of the idea um, is to see Angel be the one who's sensitive. Yeah. But, it's actually not really an angel centric episode. No, at all. no, like, I even certainly if that's thought of it as, as, I certainly thought of it as 
Kate's episode, you know? Yeah. The one where she's finally center stage. But I can see, I mean, even though it's not totally focused on Angel, I could see that being the premise of, you know. Right, right. Wouldn't it be yeah. funny if, you know, right. if Angel right. was so, suddenly super sensitive? Mm-hmm. Um, so we talked a little bit about the training. I, you know, the guy who does it, okay, whatever. His name's Lloyd, apparently. Yeah. And he... You know, he tries to be, you know, he's trying to be some kind of warlock or whatever, but, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, the stuff he does works, but clearly he's not, he doesn't know what maybe he should know about, uh, yeah. you know, all of the different uh, things that are out there. Like, I, I like the moment where he tries to say, oh, you know, I'm a pantheist, and Angel's just like, I'm not, I'm not having that. Like, yeah. you need to, you know. <laughs> um, uh, but oh, no, sorry, but the well, the most interesting part of it is that you get this connection between him and and Tony, you know, uh, little Tony, um, the two of them with Wolfram and Hart. Um, yeah, you know, so like I don't, you know, it the the sensitivity training guy is you know kind of funny. He looks you know sort of mousy and nerdy and yeah yeah. kind of like this would be sensitive you know guy who's teaching them how to be in touch with their feelings and everything but Mm -hmm. um and tony you know it's like your average italian mobster you know nothing to you know yeah uh groundbreaking there but uh but both of them are connected to wolfram and hart um so you get it's a different lawyer than last time Right. Yeah. Um, it's not Christian Kane. It's not Christian Kane. It's a different guy, but similar sort of smooth, you know, kind of corporate looking, you know, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> yep. kind of guy um, who, you know, they end up, I like that they end up kind of firing Tony because he's just not the level of clientele that they like, you know, the whole thing was to orchestrate an opportunity for them to escape. And then they didn't, they like, you know, when they wanted to get their revenge on Kate and they got themselves caught again. So, you know, the lawyers basically said like, yeah, we're done with you. Yeah. <laughs> so you get, cause you're getting this sense that they represent only the really biggest of the bad. Right. Like, and this kind of middle level mafia right. is just not <laughs> the caliber, you know, when they've got like these, like really, you know, evil like demons and you know supernatural things and all these like really monstrous guys they just can't be bothered to represent someone who won't even like walk out of the jail when you open the door for him um so they kind of kick him to the curb and leave him on his own at the end and you get the suggestion too that uh you know he kind of says like you know I forget what the line is, but he says he's, he's looking at the footage of Angel and saying, like, yeah, we've, we're we're interested in this. We're done with you. You know, we have bigger fish to fry or something. Yeah, well, right. And there's the they're looking at Angel on the yeah. monitor and or uh, whatever and um, like a picture of him. Yeah. And. Uh, yeah, so there's this idea that angel is starting to interfere with their operations, like even more. So, you know, we, 
we haven't seen them in a while. You're right. Like I think not since the first episode. Have we was seen? it just the first episode? We we saw the. I mean, that's when we saw Christian Kane. Yeah. Uh, Lindsay is his character. I couldn't name. remember if we've seen um, them since then or not. And I don't think we have. So we get. Um, yeah, and then Angel, you know, kills their client there, right? So now this is sort of the second client that he's helped to take out, right? Uh, you know, of commission. So, and and this time inadvertently, like he didn't even he, right. you know, he wasn't trying to take him out because he was a client of Wolfram Hart. And the first time he wasn't either. The, you know, first time he took him out because he was a vampire, and you know doesn't was preying on people now right angel now still doesn't really know about wolfram and hart right i mean he knows that they're a this law firm but he doesn't right. necessarily know that they're connected to all these different villains or that they're interested in him or you know like i think they're more aware of him than he is of them or at least are becoming more aware like yeah like now that they're noticing him. Right, they're than, noticing yeah. with this one, it's like, okay, now we've had two clients now, yeah. two people who were paying us who are now are not, uh, <laughs> that, that you know, we need to figure out what's going on. So, um, yeah, I mean, definitely worth noting, worth noting that they're noting him. You know, yeah. it's like, don't want to... Um, you know, I don't know what more we can say about it at this point. Just that, just that they're noticing him, and so of course, you know, I mean, they're it's they're being built up as something that we will run into again. I think yeah. it's safe to say, <laughs> um, though, in what capacity or or you know, in what other ways? Because so far, again, they've sort of killed off two people, so. You know, what what are the other ways now that we're going to start seeing them? Is it uh, going to be more directed at this point? Right. Or not? Uh, So anyway, Um, yeah, uh, you mentioned Tony, little Tony, uh, Mm. not being too big of a guy, of course. Uh, Yeah, Tim Einier was not very happy sort of with... uh, the way he wrote the character, he's like, you know, he's, he's like, I thought the actor was very good and you know, that's, and that's fine. But you know, it would have been more interesting if we had cast someone who was super cold, super cool killer, uh, instead of this Sopranos knockoff thing that we did. So, um, you know, just, he wanted someone who maybe, and and this is in retrospect, right? Because if he had wanted him at the time, they would have cast him, but Yeah. yeah, just basically like it, that he thought, the mobster guy could have been more dangerous. Uh, didn't, didn't, you know, sort of wish that he had done it. So that wasn't quite so cliched, uh, mobster guy, but yeah. honestly, I, I don't kind of, know that. I don't. Yeah. I mean, and I think Sorry. if I, if I disagree with him, it's not that I disagree that, that the guy is kind of unimpressive. It's that I think that works with the end with Wolfram and Hart, because I think, what it says is they have a certain caliber of bad mm-hmm. guy that they represent. And this guy doesn't cut it. You know, it kind of, I think the fact that he's kind of a generic, you know, uh, unimpressive villain, you know, and even kind of a cliched one tells you something about Wolfram and Hart, you know, that, mm. that they don't, 
they don't accept this guy. You know, that he, in the end, is kind of not what they're about. They're about, you know, the bigger bads than, than little Tony. So... I think I kind of agree with his assessment of the character. I just don't necessarily agree that it's a problem because I think it tells you something about Wolfram and Hart um, indirectly. Yeah, and and I, I mean, kind of like what you were saying before, like you can't have every cliche be not cliche. You know what I mean? Like, like right. you know, certain tropes work in certain instances, and I actually kind of think that it, that having a sort of more tropey cliched character, uh, you know, villain in this case kind of works because the focus isn't on the villains. The focus is on the recurring characters. So yeah, like a, a a more unique villain might be a bit of a distraction when, yeah, exactly. When what you want to be focusing on is, um, everything else. (laughs) Like he's really the least important part of the episode. So, you know, the attention really shouldn't be on him anyway, so. Yeah. So, um, but you never, I mean, obviously it's hard to say because we don't have the episode that Tim Minear wishes we had, so. Right, right. And we don't have the villain that he wishes we had, so, right. you know, you can't really hard to say too much, yeah. too much about that. Um, but anyway, the only, I was trying to think if we had seen Wolfram and Hart before, the only thing... Uh, I think we did. Did we see them in I Fall to Pieces, the one with the doctor who came apart yeah. in different ways? Like, like I, I yeah. want to say he yeah, might have been a client. Yeah, they represent him as well. Yeah. Um, so in that case, then we have three yeah. clients now who have been taken out by right. Angel. So, right. which right. I think exacerbates it even more. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, definitely worth, worth taking them out. So, um, cool. Well, I, any, any final thoughts on this episode of Angel? Uh, nope. I think that covered everything I wanted to cover. I think, um, the only sort of thing I was just thinking kind of at the end there is we were talking about like, you know, now we're focusing on like Kate as a character and bringing in is actually, I, you know, I think we can maybe say, similar like we were saying with the 11th doctor that like now we're starting to see angel in its own right as a show you know what yeah. i mean like like it's sort of right extracted it's just, itself it's not just set up anymore right it's not just oh the show that was spun off from buffy it's right now like we have enough we have enough of doyle we have enough of kate we you know i mean right. we still get angel and cordy but right. we've had enough sort of a the two of them interacting with people that aren't the other Scoobies, right. you know, uh, you know, that, that we're really kind of getting given yeah, we can its look own at, tone. We can start to have supporting characters cause we've spent right. time with our main characters for a while and everything. Right. So, um, yeah, just, just wanted to sort of point that out. Yeah. Anyway. So I guess, I guess the question then for me, and I don't know the answer is like, uh, for Kate's character, you know, where's that going? Is she, does she stay this sort of recurring supporting character? Does she, you know, ascend to the inner circle of being mm. like one of the main gang or, you know, does she get knocked off, you know? And, you know, I don't know, you know, I don't necessarily have a prediction all... one way or the other. 
all great questions and to ask. All, and all, all questions. I don't all have questions a, I don't that, have an answer for them. Like I'm not right. spoiled <laughs> as to like what happens to yep. Kate, you know, so Yep. We'll see. I will I will neither confirm nor deny any of those nor give any other answer to them. Um so yeah, I will say that on the next episode of Angel, which we're not watching for next week, but in, no. in two weeks, yeah. um, we'll get the return of an actor who we've seen before um, mm. in Buffy, but not in the same role. So I won't tell you who not it is. The, or, I was going to say Wesley, but not in the same. No, role. and we and it's it's not the first time that we've seen that because we actually saw um, the vampire Luke. And the judge were the same actor, right? Uh, I don't know if you remember that or not, Luke, but yes, I do remember that. The the <laughs> you were enthralled with the fact that we had named vampires oh, in the very early episodes. Nothing will ever beat Luke and Colin. Yeah, I know, right? Um, so it's not that actor, but right, okay. we have it's basically another actor like that who we've seen in Buffy, but it will be in a different role okay. this time. Um, so anyway. Okay. Uh, cool. And another, I think it's actually another, like a little bit lighter one too, if I recall. But um, huh, okay, I'll I'll, uh, I'll not say anything more because uh, that's like weeks away from now. <laughs> Alrighty, we got to go to Buffy first, but yes, we do. And and actually, the next Buffy one's a pretty pretty good one too. So. Cool, but I won't say anything about that. Either. All right. All right. Well. Oh, Another cool. week down. We'll we'll be back next week. See you then. Mm-hmm.